0: back for a very special episode. It is officially our 20th episode of the podcast.
1: Zinch Preserve. We've been doing it for this long.
0: Yay. Oh my. (laughs) Uh, So, I thought this would be a good chance for us to try and get to something that we haven't been able to get to yet in its own dedicated topic. And that is basically, how do you get better at 40k? Like, maybe not specifically Thousand Suns, but just in general, how do you get better at 40k?
1: Ah, yes, the age-old question, how do I get good?
0: I heard all you have to do is roll 6s. You
1: know, that does go a long ways to help. However, if you're in a situation where not even a
0: 6 will save you. Alright, well, I have... I have a kind of a few things that I just kind of want to start setting some expectations on here. So this is going to be kind of a different offshoot podcast episode here from what we've traditionally done where we've gotten really nitty gritty, like down into a very specific topic on an army. What I'm hoping we can do in this is give you some prescriptive actions or things that you can actually do um, in your next game that can help you get better, and maybe even just talk about the fundamentals of how I look at the game, and how I can walk away with more improvement than I maybe am doing today. So just to jump in a little bit, 40K is obviously a skill game, just like, or it's a skill playing the game, and playing it well is a skill that you can develop. It's not something all of us are just born with. There Even the really good players at this game are not just born into being that good. They have practiced. They have played a lot. So you have to keep in mind that to get from just picking up the game today to trying to master the game is something that takes an investment of time, right? But it's a skill that can be learned just like anything else. So it shouldn't be something that's dawning like there's this mysterious formula to being really, really good at the game. It's really a reflection of the amount of time most people have invested in getting better. It's not necessarily that everybody has invested the same amount of time, but it generally takes a good amount of time to get there. Um, a really good example is from a book called Outliers by a psychologist called Malcolm Gladwell. So I'm getting real deep here, guys. Just hang in there. He basically says that it takes about 10,000 hours to master anything. All right. No matter what kind of skill it is that's out there that that's going to be learned, it takes about 10,000 hours to do so. Um, so you can kind of work back the amount of days and hours and everything that that takes. I don't I don't think that's going to prove very much other than that the amount of time you put in is going to be reflective in how much better you get at the game.
1: Though there is some caveat to that effectively you, as much as yes, you have to spend the amount of time you have to spend it doing things that are actually constructive. Uh, I've seen a, a lot of players that get years into the game, but they never sort of took that step back to, really sort of take in all the games they played, learn what they should have, the lessons they should have learned from that, like how to play their army. So they wound up, they they might have the hours under the belt, but just because you have the hours doesn't mean that you've applied them well.
0: Absolutely. So it's, it's more a matter of um, making sure that you're, you're putting that time constructively into improving versus just doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. Right.
1: And hopefully, this video will help you how to do that. Audio, right? Podcast. <laughs> right. You know what? I'm just gonna keep living in my own reality and reject your own.
0: <laughs> Every time we think we're still. Wrong. Every time. One. One other thing I want to get to here. There's this. There's a really interesting thing out there called the imposter syndrome. Mike, have you actually heard about this?
1: Um, I, I might have at some point. Doesn't ring a bell the moment.
0: All right. So what the imposter syndrome is, it's basically a behavior of people where they look basically at a bunch of other people who are very successful at something that maybe I kind of have an idea of how to do, but I look at how successful they are. And immediately my, my, almost my gut reaction is, well, I could never do that. Those guys are way more, way smarter than me or, you know, they just, they, they, they're constantly doing all these things that are just so far beyond what I can do. In the science and technology field, we see this a lot with folks because they, um, a really good example of this is if you're like, you're a programmer and you're looking at a lot of these people who start up podcasts or blogs, and, you know, they essentially became, become e-famous with lots of other people in the field. People kind of look at that and just kind of assume that they're doing a lot of other things or, you know, they don't make mistakes. They write, you know, perfect, you know, perfect code for that matter. And the reality is, is we're all flawed. Like we all make mistakes. And even in 40 K, there is no such thing as a perfect game. Even, even for say Brandon Grant who won LVO last year, even he would probably tell you that, yeah, there were mistakes he made in that last game or the, the game he played. And that's just, part of the MO of, of playing, you know, a game that takes skill or it takes thinking and, you know, there's so many different, I guess, levers that or that you pull and possibilities and outcomes that are permutations of what can happen in the game. And they're all based on just the decisions we make and things like that. So all I'm getting to here is that don't be intimidated by what you read online The list you see people play, the things you hear in podcasts, the things you, you know, other people you hear that either go on podcasts or, you know, take the initiative to do that stuff. Like everybody starts at a different point, right? We all start somewhere. The most healthy thing you can do for yourself is just acknowledge that, you know what? I just don't know how to play this game very well. Or, you know what? I just don't know how this works. Or I don't know what your army does. I don't know what my army does. You know, I'm I'm just trying to figure this out. Um, And even if you're someone who's gone to like lots of tournaments and things like that, I've even heard tournament players just sit there and say, hey, you know what? This is really like my third game playing this army. So, you know, just bear with me if I make a bunch of mistakes in this game or something like that. And that level of humility will actually go a long ways towards making it easier for you to picture the things that you do wrong and accept them as mistakes, but then improve from there. So Mike, I got to, why don't we start here? if we're talking about getting better as a player, why don't we just try and figure out, well, what makes a good player at 40 K you, what makes a good player?
1: Okay. So the, what makes a good player for me for 40 K is comes down to a couple of things. One, you have to be knowledgeable. Um, my, my favorite line from the fluff uh, from 40 K is knowledge is power guard it well or thousand sons who wield it well and effectively if you go into a match and you don't know what your opponent's army does but they know what your army does you're already at a disadvantage and so you should go into every or you should go into any game you're going into at least understanding like what the army tries to do mechanically not necessarily like I look forward three minutes into the future and I see what my opponent does, that's bullshit, nobody can do that. Well, effectively, what you need to be able to do is like, okay, they have these units, I know they do these things, how will I build my strategy around that? And I think, uh, well, not to get too far into it, but I think a lot of people, as opposed to trying to answer that question, will find will try to build lists that don't have to address interacting with your opponent. Um, and that's, um, uh, so like the
0: eight flyers, 10 flyers, that kind of list.
1: Yeah. Fl- flyer spam, um, gun lines, ca- uh, castle builds, stuff like that. The things that if everything goes according to plan, your opponent will never even get to do anything. Um, the other portion of it though is experience and being able to very naturally play the game. Um, effectively any time that you have to go back and consult a rule book or double check yourself that adds one extra time that you're in like, especially in a competitive uh, scene where you have a limited amount of time that you aren't actively playing the game, but it also allows your opponent to potentially try to pull a fast one on you. Um, and I, I, as much as I, I like to think that most people who play this game are up, frightened like nice people i think everyone has had a game or two where at the end of the game like huh that didn't go very well and i know in my case i go back and like look at what the rules actually say is like wait we didn't do that
0: right right and you're you're not saying like like, maliciously there's very you know innocent times where we just get the rules wrong and we realize or someone else gets the rules wrong and you're just on the bad receiving end and being able to know how to catch those situations is a big part of the game. Right? Yeah.
1: And effectively um, being educated on the rules and also just being able to make those sort of rapid fire judgment calls as to what is really the most important thing here is very important. Probably. Um, so like for instance, I've played a few tournaments this year. I would say that. Ninety percent of the games I played, even though they were they were like difficult because the uh, for various reasons, didn't really engage my like need to actually do hard strategy. And whereas one game of those really comes to mind as like, okay, I need to actually buckle down and take this game seriously, because the guy I was playing knew what he was about and came out swinging and effectively if you can get into that sort of buckle down mode where you realize that you should really just play to the best of your ability as opposed to sort of phoning it in um, you'll learn more about the game by playing that As much as it's sort of stressful than you will by just sort of going through the motions.
0: So So it sounds like the big part of this is really just about knowledge, right? Like how much you know about the game. And there's only so much that you can take in from just pure reading, right? So you might look through a series of stratagems and say, hey, you know what? I think I have a good idea of what they do. But then you sit down with a friend or somebody and they say, hey, did you know what? If you put these units together, you get this really awesome combo out of it and you're sitting there going huh i guess you do and you you know you make that breakthrough of okay there's these things that you there's only so much you're going to be able to figure out and interpret on yourself and there's a lot of other things that people else are people are going to find as well i think there's a really interesting way of trying to like bottle up the whole aspect of how much there is to learn about the game in a way of knowing kind of what the journey is like in 40K, um, and so if there's there's something out there called the Dunning-Kruger effect, all right? Again, this is my last thing that I'm gonna get real deep on here. Yeah, so if you Google the Dunning-Kruger effect and just bring up some images, you will find that there is a, it basically is a graph or a curve, and what it is is it has two axes. Uh, the vertical axis you can think of as confidence, And the horizontal axis is competence. And so if you're starting from the very far left of the graph, you have neither no confidence and no competence in the game. And as you start out and you just start into the game, you're going to go through this really rapid, you know, ascension of assimilating all this information. And you're going to get this kind of, you know, all right, man, I've got this figured out. But then there's going to come a moment at some point where you're going to realize, you know what, someone, there's a whole lot of things, that, or someone's either going to beat you really bad in the game, or there's going to be a whole bunch of things where they just absolutely either blow your mind, or maybe it's just a series of games that happen where you you start realizing, you know what, there's a lot here that I don't know. And then you fall into this thing called basically the, the, the valley of despair, which is where you're basically getting to the point where you're realizing how much there is that you don't know about the game, all the little interactions. Um, Mike, I don't know about you, but in eighth edition, the interactions in the assault phase of piling in, consolidating um, the tricks you can do with, you know, trapping units, um, piling into things and tagging them. Um, things we've talked about on the podcast, I, for me, that's one of the things where if I just look at like my dunning-kruger effect curve of knowing the basic rules of 40k that was one of those areas where i just like my brain just almost like exploded and realized man there is so many other aspects to this of what i can be yeah. doing with the art.
1: um which that is the one thing is the you you can read a rule book you can play games but it's a, kind of amazing how easy it is to sort of miss simple things. I remember um, after a day at the local games workshop, you, me, and a couple of other guys went out to um, dinner, and the um, whole trapping units thing had just uh, sort of been discovered. It hadn't really, it wasn't a mainstream thing in the meta yet. And having like explaining, like using little salt and pepper shakers, like how this works, and just the look of realization on everyone's at the table, like what this meant and the things you could do with it. And I, I think that was as far as I remember, that the the first of the sort of the assault phase movement shenanigans that really came out is after that you started seeing things like, wait, if I just I don't have to charge towards what I move towards what I'm charging. So now you had people moving units in the assault phase onto objectives or tagging units that they had no intention of actually fighting just to just, it's sort of a a renaissance of this shenanigan.
0: Yeah. You're talking about basically that next step in the curve, which is the the last step uh, all the way off to the right of competence where you're getting towards expert and you're talking about your basically what's called the slope of enlightenment. Um, And that is basically where you're realizing all the different aspects of what can actually be done there. And the only last thing I'll say about that um, before we kind of take a step back here in a second is don't expect that the learning path of this stuff is just like a straight line. Like if you, if you set your goal of here's what like I want to go win tournaments or whatever it is that your goal is in terms of being a better player, it's not a straight path to get there you will have days where you make very big strides and you realize you've figured out some things. But then you will also have days where you take steps back um, or you have periods of time where you plateau um, and you've basically learned what you can learn. You're not regressing, but you're also not going much further yet. And that's just a natural part of learning or, or going along the journey Um, And that it's going to be, it's going to look much more like a stock chart. Um, If you've ever looked at uh, the stock market or looked at a chart of prices, like a line graph on there um, of a a stock that's just progressively getting higher and higher over time, it's going to look a lot like that, where it has days where it's up then it has days where it's down. And then it's just gradually over time, you're making your way higher and higher. And that's just generally the expectation that you should have. So you don't get discouraged along the way it's real easy to get into that, to to go through that period of just feeling like, man, I don't know what happened. There was a time where I was good and now I just, I can't win. And on that point, before we take a step forward here, one of the best suggestions I have for you when that happens is to switch armies. Um, This this was advice given to me from a friend here in Houston um, where he realized what I was going through here in the last uh, or in the early parts of the year where I just basically got very stale plateaued and I wasn't getting anywhere with my army. In fact, at Houston, I had pretty much one of my worst tournament results that I've had in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, his, his suggestion was, Hey, you know what? You should think about playing another army just for a little bit. And sure enough, you know, switching over definitely helps you out. And it, it just gives you a new lease.
1: Uh, that is the the one thing. the so falling into a rut is very dangerous. Um, And really sometimes taking a step back, if you're not making forward progress, will help you sort of clear up the log jam that is your own failure, really.
0: Well, another thing on that, Mike, is you can, you can even just put the game down for a while, take a break for a few weeks. Like you can burn yourself out on the game where you just, I mean, it's just like work. If, if you work, you know, 80 hours a week, every single week for, you know, I don't know how long you can go, but everybody's different of what they can tolerate. You're eventually going to burn your brain out and you're (laughs) just going to be this blabbering idiot, you know, not able to actually function. So, but wrapping this all up, it sounds like Mike, one of the things we've identified here is that knowing the game, knowing the rules, knowing your army, um, knowing your opponent's army, things like that, bottling that all up. It sounds like that all falls within preparation. Right? These are all things that you can do before you even get to the game. There's probably other stuff in here, though, right? One of the things, one of the things for me that sticks out is um, a good player knows how to self-assess or, or at least knows how to seek out criticism from other players on what they did. Very much like how you see people seek criticism on their painting. Um, I know a lot of folks post their the photos of their models that they paint online. And they often just see criticism of things they could do better. And much like playing, it's very, very much the same way. The thing I see, Mike, I don't know how you, what you see here, but the thing I see most common that players that are able to at least self assess, or they go through the motion of asking for feedback is that they don't take it in or write it down.
1: Yeah. A lot of time, what I find is that if somebody comes to me for advice as to, hey, I played this game, I didn't go very well, what can I do to improve? I would say that actually the majority of the time, um, I get justifications for why I played that way or why I played that way. And ultimately, I kind of don't like giving advice anymore because you don't tend to get sort of a constructive response to it. Um, I, I think a, a lot of people that are, I, I play this hobby um, wind up sort of tricking themselves into thinking that, well, this is the best way to do this. And so I just, I need confirmation or, well, clearly the, the guy I played was, he's just, the list was too powerful and not really distancing themselves from what they had just done. And as opposed to uh, sort of approaching it from the standpoint of, well, this is my stuff. And so I should be better. It's just sort of a odd catch 22. Cause you obviously they, they, they ask for advice, but they don't want the answer that they're going to receive.
0: Right. They almost, they almost want to be validated that what they did was okay, but there was nothing they could do to solve them or there was nothing they did wrong essentially. Right. Like they did everything right but validate that for me is basically what they're seeking. And I've seen even competitive players do the same thing. I think the best thing you can do to counter that, what, if you have a suspicion that you're doing that, probably it's hard to acknowledge that to begin with, but it's okay. I think the best thing you can do to combat that is get a notebook. And at the end of your game, just simply ask your opponent what they think they could you could have done better or or another way of asking it is what would you have done that I didn't do in this game? And then just write it down. Don't, don't interpret it. Don't, you know, don't try to justify it or really try to understand it. Just write their feedback down. Another thing you can do is just acknowledge the things that you know you could have done better in there and write them down as well. Now here, there's a clear difference between hindsight and decision-making. And so whenever I'm writing down things that I did wrong in a game, I'm looking for decisions that I didn't, that I didn't make, or I made wrong that I could do differently next time. So there's a difference between rolling good, right? Like maybe next time I just need to roll good, or maybe next time I need to, you know, move this unit before charging or something like that, versus a decision that you actually make where, I don't know, a, a good example might be, hey, they had custodies. and I thought it would be a good idea to take Death Hex, but most of our stuff uh, has just AP2, so it's falling back from a 2-plus armor to a 4-plus inborn save that they already have, so taking Death Hex on them doesn't do anything. That's a decision, right? That's something that I can look at in the future, and I can say, you know what? I don't really need death hacks because I need to look at the fundamental, you know, math of what actually happens if I shoot at them or or whatever. You're looking for things that you want to look at the decisions you made. Um, Early game is where a lot of that happens. You want to look for the things that you made a decision about that you can look at next time and know how to make that decision differently. Those are the key things you improve on. Right.
1: Um. I know I don't keep a notebook or anything. However, I know that um, after a very good game, I'll inevitably wind up spending several hours afterwards, just sort of slowly thinking it through, like, like sort of a, a step-by-step replay of if I'd done this here, if I'd done that there consulting rule books, uh, things like that to sort of that way prepare myself so that if I'm ever in a matchup like that, again, I know what, I should do, as opposed to being caught off guard by things that may have surprised me.
0: I think what's key about what you're doing there, Mike, is that it's the game is fresh in your mind, right correct you're you're thinking about it within those few hours right after the game if you I think one of the things people miss out on by not using a notebook is if you don't have that habit, uh, which it sounds like you do, uh, but if you don't have that habit, writing them down makes it very easy so that if you know you're not going to be able to think about it right there in the moment or maybe you're just really frustrated. You just want to take a break and not think about it. If you write it down, you don't have to remember all the things that happened. They're just written there. So you can just open it up tomorrow. You can you can pick it up and you can say, all right, look, I really fumbled that game. Look at all these things I did wrong. What can I do differently? Let's let's go take a look at the list. Are there things I could change in the list that would help with that? You know, um, I think this comes down to some things that I, I guess factor into the um, the whole, you know, point of looking at the actual. Uh, I don't know the the decisions that you make and how you build your army. We all know those guys that basically look on the net, or we call them net listers, right? And they're folks that that go and they, they play the game by looking at what works what works for other people. And one of the things that I've always felt that people can't really articulate is wrong about that is the fact that those folks are not learning anything about the decision-making process and building the army. They're just simply looking at what someone else used to be successful, and they don't have any of the lessons that were...
1: That went into crafting that particular list.
0: Exactly. And, um, I, you know, just to, to boil it down into an even simpler analogy in sailboat racing, it also has a very huge learning curve to it. And one of the analogies they always give to people who are like newbie captains in the boats, uh, is that the people who first show up will, a lot of times they'll just follow the people that keep winning over and over. And so their results will be, Hey, you know what? They finished third, they finished fourth, they furnished second, you know, and that might be higher than you at every, every event that you're at. But the problem is, is that person is never going to be able to identify the situation where they can make a decision to be first, you know, make that decision that everybody else isn't able to make. I think that's where you should be not afraid to go down the path that everybody else is saying is wrong, like drown the noise out. And just focus on how you are playing, the lessons that you have learned. And you know what? Maybe it's okay to take that land raider. Or maybe it's okay to take that that vindicator. Maybe you have an idea that'll work. Maybe it doesn't work. But don't let everybody else influence that to the point where you assume that it won't work just based on what everybody else is saying it won't work. Or don't assume that just because so-and-so brings, you know, tons of Leviathan dreadnoughts that that's the only formula or that is a, that is a formula that just can win over and over again. So, so
1: one thing to take away from that is assuming you don't start off with that listing, everyone who plays this game for any length of time inevitably winds up sort of falling into their play style. And the lists that you write and perform well with will be informed by that. Uh, so, for instance, I tend to play lists that uh, play very aggressively and sort of make what a n- normal person, I suppose, would consider to be sort of odd choices in unit selection. But because the I always go in with a plan for, hey, if I take these things and combine them in this way, it works. I actually can get good results. However, I'm very confident that if I were to hand one of my weird armies to most other people, they'd have no idea what to do with it. And that's uh, the, the, the story of a Lictor shame um, back in 7th edition, which is this ridiculous ge- um, Lictor-based Tyranid army that made no sense. But because it the person who crafted it was very familiar with the meta at the time and was very comfortable playing it, they won a top tournament with it. And I remember the very next big tournament that I'd went to, there were like five different people playing Lichter Shame because hey, that's one big at the last tournament. And they all just floundered with it because it it made no sense. They had no idea how to make these like fine, gritty tactical decisions. And so one thing that I will sort of say is once you've selected your army, so Thousand Sons, for instance, uh, being the subject matter for us for the most part, don't make big changes. So effectively sort of tra- play your play your first game and say, okay, I liked these things, I didn't like these things, and slowly sort of build your collection to transition into exactly what you like to play and what you are good with, um, because um, nothing's more tragic than seeing somebody with a beautifully painted army that they clearly they love, but they have no idea how to play it because the play style of the army doesn't fit with their own personal like idiom.
0: That's a good one. Good
1: one. <laughs> I got a vocabulary word there. Um, and so, at least on your first army don't make drastic changes um, because ultimately you'll just do yourself a disservice because all that progress you've made learning how to play your army and learning like your matchups and how all these different things interact will be cast aside. Cause as much as the raw rules of the game are the same, the little sort of nitty gritty details that make up the, a given army that make give it its sort of its soul will be different.
0: Yeah, you um, you're almost resetting your journey each time if you if you change your army or you change your list pretty drastically. Um, it's one thing to make a couple adjustments, um, and on on that the the kind of the helper that I use for that is to use the rule of three, which is I generally try to get at least three games or three instances where something fails to prove to me that okay this is beyond just me this is a good example of this choice that i have here is not working the way i want it to um and and sometimes people don't like that because it takes time and they want instant like we're in a world of instant gratification you know we want that instant success or that instant turnaround and say aha you know my my list was fixed by dropping scarab occult terminators and taking many more rubric marines and you know that At the end of the day, it's not that simple. A lot of times it's how you use them. Um, Case in point right now, uh, this is kind of where I am with my Raven Guard list that I'm working. I am at a point where I have played something. I I basically have Aggressors and Centurions in my list. And I have played them for a few games now. And I can tell you that they, they each do what they should do on the battlefield. Um, So for example, aggressors put out a boatload of shots and they are also pretty damn good if you need to charge them in and assault something because they all have power fists. But on the flip side, my Centurions um, have not done very well. And this is kind of the self-assessment that I've done so far is that I've concluded that I'm not using them right. And the reason is, is I look at the games that I played, I look at what I tried to do with them, and I found some commonalities in that either I threw them out in very vulnerable situations, there were stratagems I didn't try to take advantage of. Um, I probably put them out a little too aggressively, uh, meaning I put them out in the open thinking I'll make that charge, or they're tough enough, they can survive. Uh Those kind of things are how you look at it and you say, okay, you know what, next time I'm not going to make any changes to the list yet, but next time let's try and play them a little bit different. Let's maybe use some terrain to our advantage, or let's maybe put them in a spot where, you know what, if I fail this charge, they're going to be okay. Um, You know, things like that are how you self-assess what you're doing with your list. Before you get to the point, you just say, you know what, even when I charge these guys in, oh, let's, Let's just go back to last year, Mike. Uh, remember when I was running the obliterators at LVO in that, you know, the alpha Legion list and everything. You and I almost came to the same conclusion on the fact that the obliterators having that random, this is before the changes, but having the random uh, stats meant it was very hard for me to rely on what they could do. And they were very swingy. And there would be times they came in, it was very, they were very effective. And then there were times they'd come in and they completely whiff. Correct. Right. So that's the kind of thing where you realize, you know what? It's the unit because I've brought them in many times. And when you bring them in and you execute to exactly what you think is going to work and it doesn't work, it's either you look at the fact that was my strategy flawed or was the unit flawed or my decision to bring that unit to solve that flawed. And that's kind of how you you start to go through that whole process. So one other thing I thought would be good to look at is not getting caught up in the results. I think it's really easy for folks to look at winning as a measure of how good a player actually is. And I don't think that's the case. Um, You know, Mike, I I think if you were to look at your tournament results over the last couple, you know, the last few events, even this year – Uh, someone would look at the fact that, you know, I think in most of them you went three and two or two and three, depending on, you know, the events you finished. Yes,
1: winning the majority of my games. Yeah.
0: And I think I think the thing is there's a lot of folks that can get to three and two. Three and two at a tournament is even for someone who's just starting out, I think that's a reasonable thing for you to accomplish. Even in my my first year completely going in with an open mind and just playing games. Three and two was kind of what I could do almost readily every single tournament because you eventually end up playing folks that are very similar in your skill, uh, skill level on day two. And so if you are really focused on on the game and the aspects of what you're doing, it's very easy for you to overcome some of the mistakes you're making and to, to you know pull out a couple wins. Um, sometimes it just doesn't go go your way and you either roll bad or you get bad matchups. It happens. Um, but I think a good analogy here is that there, there was a... I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a uh, there was a book by somebody and what they did is they talked about the analogy of picking up the game of golf. And what they said was when they went to their first golf lessons, everybody kind of got their lessons on the fundamental of what your swing should be and how you should swing the club and what you should be doing in the game or basically in the game of golf. And then he he picked up on the fact that there were different takeaways that people had. There were some folks that when they walked away from the game or from the lessons, what they looked at was where the ball went when they, when they hit it. And they used that as a measure of whether they were actually swinging the club right or not. And kind of that's the case, but not necessarily. What, what the guy who wrote the book was saying was that he didn't even look at the ball. He didn't even look at where it was going. Meaning he wasn't even looking at whether he was winning matches or not. What he was looking at and and analyzing was, was he making the right decisions or was he swinging the club correct? And he would basically just go for like two weeks going to the driving range and just swinging the club, not even looking at where the ball was going intentionally just tr- hyper-focusing on just, am I swinging the club correct? Or maybe today all I'm working on is one little different aspect of it. Um, so maybe you're doing something similar in your game where you say, you know what? I'm playing a practice game this weekend. Maybe the focus for this game is, am I am I taking the correct psychic powers? Or am I assaulting with my Zengors cr- the most optimized way possible? Um, and an easy way is to just look at it and just say, you know, let's say I I put my Zengars on the board and I charge and I fail my charge or I get wiped out in Overwatch or something like that. I'm just hypotheticals there. Are there things I could do differently next time that would prevent that from happening? And just focusing on just one or two aspects of the game to try and improve on.
1: And that is the one thing, a thing said. again, getting your hours in and in a constructive manner. Um, is very important just to sort of reiterate that point and effectively be proactive in your gaming to steal another personality's favorite word. Um, The the idea being that if you're going to play a game, make sure you're alert and paying attention to what's going on, not just because that'll help you win, but also so you can notice the things that will allow you to improve on what you're already doing. The other thing is, okay, so uh, when I started playing, I uh, played at a games workshop store um, throughout the four years of college until that store shut down. And then a friend um, started doing Garage 40K. Literally, it was the same four people once a week, every week. We'd play the game and we wound up being very stagnant, not necessarily because we weren't learning things, but because we only ever saw each other. We were the only people that ever played against each other. We didn't really have a good grasp of what everyone else was doing in the game. And so what ultimately what ended up happening was two of us wound up winning the majority of our games. The other two were getting frustrated. And then we went out to a local store just because I think the garage was being fumigated or something. This hand of fate intervening and the two guys that were getting frustrated with the game played some other people and what they discovered was that they'd actually had gotten very good at the game but because they'd gotten so entrenched in well this is how this is always going to go they had stopped thinking critically about how the game was going and it's effectively they were sort of phoning it in um whereas opposed to me and the my other friend who would change our lists every time just to start doing weird, sort of dumb stuff because at this point it's like, okay, we know what our good lists do. Let's figure out what what we can do if we bring these other sort of suboptimal builds.
0: So it's like, let me see if I can make this bad idea work. right? Yeah,
1: and doing that actually, like taking a subpar list can do wonders for sort of making you appreciate what a fine-tuned list does. Um, those actually probably the single funniest game I've ever played was we um we, we we had a really bad game the week before, literally just stomped our the two chaos guys into the ground so bad that they just like I don't know if we want to play this game was there Okay, is what we need to do. You take my codex, I take your codex. Each of us designs a list for each other as bad as possible. Like I'm talking third edition bad where you could literally on like your sergeants exchange their bolt gun for a storm bolter and then exchange the storm bolter for a shotgun and then exchange the shotgun for a thing that doesn't do anything and wound up paying like 50 points to do nothing. And um, at the end of the whole thing, we wound up with just horrible lists, like so inefficient. It was actually, it was kind of remarkable how bad they were. And we actually won with it, won with them because as much as they were bad, they still had a couple of things you could do with them. And our opponents were just not thinking critically. And so they went in assuming we'd be bringing our normal lists and we're just completely surprised when, wait, you don't have your triple hollow Falcons or your uh, what exorcists or any of that stuff. And it was just, because they weren't paying attention, they couldn't capitalize on the fact that their opponent showed up with an arm and a leg tied behind their back. Um, and that's the the sort of, sort of highlights for me the importance of being proactive in your game um, and that you go, you have your list uh, decided before you even know who your opponent is most of the time. You make your choices and you go in with a plan. And based off of not what you brought but based off of the combination of what you have and your opponent has Uh, because if you go in with a static plan well that's never only going to work in the most ideal scenarios if you're going with no plan well now you're uh, effectively you're just winging it which can work mind you if you go in like with an expectation of I need to do these things, which actually the secondary is an ITC are very helpful for of, okay, what can I do to earn points? And after you have your strategy, apply good tactics to achieve your overall strategy in a, again, a proactive manner where you're actually thinking about everything as you do it. Eventually all those decisions that sort of you have to make to help you win will become second nature. And now you're able to play at a very high level and not have to sort of pause and it's like think like, "Okay, should I do this and him and ha and hesitation is the worst thing you can do, not because it's not good to think about what you're doing but because doubt um, will inevitably lead you to make poor choices
0: yeah, if we could um, if we almost just jump back to what you were saying originally, um, just thinking about the list design aspects. There's, I know we kind of touched on in a negative way that, that net listing kind of takes out a lot of the decisions that are being made uh, or the, the lessons that someone learned in designing that list. There's nothing wrong at the end of the day with taking that list and starting with it and in fact you you hear a lot of people actually recommend uh, even t- competitive players recommend starting with a copying what someone else's list head is the value you do get out of doing that is that you're taking that aspect out you're taking the whole you know this list wins right you've seen someone do very well at a tournament with it it, it went 5 and 0 oh. it means that the list itself has A fundamentally successful formula to to play against other armies. And so by doing that, you can focus on you piloting the list, Um, the aspects of the gameplay and your decision-making before the game, how you play it in the game, um, how you play versus other matchups. Those are all things that you just have to get through repetitions, Uh, going up against your friends or your opponents, going to tournaments. Those are all things that just come out in just running the list. Getting beyond that curve is when you start to realize, you know what, there are things in this list that I would do differently. And this is where you were getting to, you'll, you'll recognize your natural style and everybody is different. Um, where Mike likes to be hyper aggressive, I tend to like to be able to take away people's strengths. Um, I like to be able to look at what people, so a lot of people like to boil their list or their armies down to like maybe two or three units that are very good or the core fundamental of their army. And I like to design my armies at being able to take those away from them. And I like to be able to say, okay, can you function without characters? Uh, Or can you function without, uh, let's say you lose your, your, tank commanders uh, because I just keep tagging them every turn, you know, can can you, can you win with the rest of your list? Uh, It's almost like a divide and conquer kind of mentality where if I can, if I can take half your army out or the strength of your army out of the equation, can the rest of my army outmatch yours? And a lot of my list that I build, that's kind of the design concept. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always have the, the results that I want. And there's sometimes formulas where I can't, I can't crack that egg. Uh, so Mike, I think we're getting pretty well through a lot of this. One other thing that I thought of, how much does attitude come into this? Um,
1: I would say attitude comes in considerably into being able to play and learn to play effectively. Um, effectively, if you have a sort of a positive outlook on things, um, you'll have a much easier time Sort of staying focused on what you're supposed to be doing. And also, one thing that um, people, I, I think, don't necessarily keep in mind is that if you're in a bad mood, your opponent is also not necessarily going to be in a good mood either. And that can lead to some very hostile games, which is sort of this sort of negative feedback loop where. Because one player is not having a good time. The other one doesn't. It just sort of spirals down until nobody's really enjoying the game. And it's very difficult to escape that.
0: Or you're possibly the guy on the other side of that equation where the other person's having a really bad mood. Or they just there's something about the way they talk to you or um, their personality or something like that where you're not picking up on or you're just not communicating well with them. I have a couple suggestions for that. Uh, This is something that goes well beyond 40 K because this comes down to people to people interactions. There's lots of really good books out there on terms of how to talk to people and not be an asshole. It's a pretty common book that's thrown around. It's even mocked sometimes, but how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie is like a staple of things. He gives all sorts of different examples of things you can say differently in that book. Even the example he gives in the book where he, he tells a story about a guy on the subway where his kids are just running around. They're making lots of noise on the train. And the person sitting across from him is just kind of analyzing the whole thing, getting really annoyed by the kids running around screaming and kind of like, why aren't you controlling your kids or anything like that? And, eventually he ends up saying something to the person and then realizes oh well you know the guy's wife just died and they just came from the funeral and you know just having some empathy for the fact that you know maybe that person is having a really bad day and you know just trying not to trying not to get too caught up in that stuff so it's a really good book for just trying to help change how you look at different interactions with people I'll tell you another really good one is called Crucial Conversations. This book is really good at dealing with arguments and being able to recognize when someone's on the verge of just like losing it, it gives very good phrases for you to use with people. Uh, I can give you a really good one where if you, let's say you, You know, Mike, you and I are arguing about something and you're trying to say, look, this is how something works. And I'm saying, this is how it works. And the two of us are just absolutely butting heads on something. A little thing that works really well for me is I just say, look, if I understand you, this is what you're trying to say. And that's all I say. And a lot of times I find that if I'm, if I'm just going through that motion with somebody, I find that I just didn't interpret what they were saying correctly. Like I didn't hear them right. I didn't listen to them correctly. Those tend to be things you can do. Just repeating what the person is saying is enough to just get yourself into a situation where you're on the same page as they are. And sometimes that's all that needs to happen.
1: Yeah. It was actually kind of funny this last Saturday, the guard guy I played, we we were both saying the same thing. But because you couldn't hear each other very well and they're both sort of yelling at each other, it wanted to be an argument where we're both effect- literally saying, like, yes, you can do that. Yes, I can do that. And ultimately he's like, had you come around to the table is like, yes, dude, you can do that. It's like, that's what I've been saying. It's like, what? This is a very surreal moment. Um, that this is like sort of illustrates how easy it is to sort of lose your cool when whenever- there's really no reason to. We're all we're all playing a game here.
0: I can give you another really good example Um, at, at war games con in Austin, I was playing a matchup with another gentleman who was also running nights, but I could see right off of the bat that the, the way I communicated and the speed I was talking or communicating was frustrating him. And part of that had to do with the fact that I had just chugged like two giant Starbucks, like multi-shot coffees And I was running on a lot of caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) So just saying to him, look, I am i know I realize I'm talking really fast. I just had a lot of coffee. I'm happy to just try and focus and slow myself down a little bit here for you. And I think just acknowledging that on the table to him can go a long ways towards lowering his frustration level and actually helping him enjoy the game a little. Where you know he's just like, man, this guy is. Hold on a second. You just explained like five different chain reactions of what you're doing, and I haven't got a clue. Versus like him just throwing his hands up and just you know like I'm I'm done. You know you can't you can't do this or you know I don't know what you're doing or anything like that. And it I think it just comes down to just it's not reading people. It's more just trying to be self-aware of when you might be doing something that's frustrating your opponent, like you know, you know, in your head, you're thinking, you know what, I think this is something I can do, but I don't know the full sequence of how I do it. And just being, just basically talking that through with them is enough sometimes to just defuse any kind of tension there is or stuff like that. Another thing is um, from crucial conversations is you can actually, when you notice someone is getting defensive or you notice someone is actually like feeling like this is becoming a very tense conversation or you're you feel like this is going to become an argument over a rule. I think there's some people that tend to feel like it becomes a personal battle of right and wrong. And it becomes very easy to diffuse where you just say, hey look, Mike, I'm not this is not personal against you. You know, I I just think that this rule is worded this way you know or i just think that this is how I, if i recall correctly you know this is how this is worded in the rule book those are the kind of things you can do where they don't it it seems like a little thing or a little phrase you can use with them but in the in the long term they're going to they're going to feel like hey all right you're not this isn't a me versus you battle that's what you're essentially trying to diffuse before it becomes that right and um, I think that can help quite a bit. And I wouldn't worry about, you know, if someone else recognizes you doing that, that's almost a good thing because then they realize, you know what, he's trying to defuse this. He's right. Let's, let's just have fun. Let's just play the game. This is a game after all. Let's just try to have fun with this.
1: I think that uh, we've sort of covered the broad strokes because as much as the there are like a bunch ton of nitty-gritty things that we could talk about for hours on end of like yes do this thing don't do that thing I, I think in the, ultimately the what it comes down to is experiencing it yourself because until you do you'll never really understand exactly what the, the that entails there's actually um, an instance fairly recently where I was trying to explain a concept over the discord and it was just could not seem to get the idea across with just words. So I busted out a diagram using uh, colored dots um, made by MS Paint. And once you could actually see it, it all made sense uh, as to what I was describing. But I, I very much felt that before that point, as much as the they're familiar with the, with the words I was saying, like the phrases, they didn't have a image to attach it to. Being able to go out and sort of see the things that are going on and how your army plays in person is the fastest way to actually become a better player. And I don't, as much as there are shortcuts you can take, you can get the net list. You can listen to awesome podcasts and watch videos. The ultimately until you do it yourself, it's all just theory. Theory doesn't mean much until it's proven as fact.
0: Yeah. I think the, um, I think the thing that always harps in, for me is trying to mold trying to take on the habits the good habits of what successful players do and replicate those habits and not replicate the bad habits or you know that i think will get you 90 percent of the way there um there it's very hard to in a lot of these cases or a lot of the things that we've brought up here it can be very hard to make progress on some of these things without someone coaching. So if you do have someone who's willing to be very honest with you, very blunt, um, it might take you some time to earn some trust with each other, but being able to get that Frank feedback from somebody is super valuable where you can just sit down and, and say, look, this is what I'm trying to do with my list, but it's not working. What do you recommend I do? And maybe that's the kind of thing where you just sit back and you go, you know what, Let's take anything that I think is gonna work and just throw it out right now. And I'm just gonna automatically just go with what they're saying and try it out. The worst that can happen is that it doesn't work, right? That it doesn't improve the situation at all. But if you think about it, what you've actually done is you've actually just proven that, you know what, maybe this whole thing that I was trying to do to begin with isn't gonna work at all and that I can just move on to something else. Rather than, you know, kind of double down on your own ideas and just continue to push the, the, the concept further and further thinking, you know, oh, if I just add this or if I just do this or if I just get this match up or, you know, things like that where, you know, it, it, that could take you a while to come to that same conclusion. So it can be real helpful, I think, to have your friends um, or at least just have a, you know, just like an upfront contract with them where, hey, you know what? I, I really am just trying to get some feedback out of this game. I'd really like to know what you think at the end of this. Like, what am I doing different? What could I have done differently? And then maybe they, when they're playing that game with you, can can analyze those things and notice, you know, hey, you know what? I would have done this differently. I can think back to Warzone Houston. I had five matches that it, during that uh, tour, or sorry, uh, War Games Con in Austin. I had five matches. There was only one player in all five of those matches that at the end of the tournament or at the end of the game uh, said to me, Hey, you know, what do you think I could have done differently? And uh, you know, I got a kudos to Nick Gower because that's who it was. And that was one of those games where I just, I looked at it. I gave it the best thought I could. And I felt, ba- I actually felt bad because I didn't have very much feedback for him. And it was just kind of one of those things where I just said, I don't know, man, because you had poison, I had chaos nights, and you pretty much tried to play an objective holding game, which is all you really could do when you looked at our two armies and matched them up, and that just didn't, you had some bad rolls in there and some critical situations, they didn't go the way you thought it, they were going to go, and you know, at the end of the day, from a decision standpoint, I couldn't find a decision that he had made that didn't or a decision where I would have maybe done it differently, you know, and that's kind of the key is, is trying to look for those decisions. Uh, A really good one, just for you folks, if you're just starting out and getting into competitive stuff, here's a really good one for you. Just ask um, at the end of the game, if there are secondaries like the the secondary objectives that you take in ITC matchups, that's a really, really good one to try and get feedback on. And it's real easy Um, because most people know what people take against them. Um, and if you play enough matches, you'll find that there's common secondaries people take against you. And sometimes people just start to adjust their lists to try and make it so that they can't take those secondaries against them or max them out anymore. But but a very good example is just this past weekend at our local tournament, uh, I was asked uh, at the end of the game, just, you know, hey, what secondaries would you have taken? And I said, well, you probably should have taken this one instead. And I kind of t- talked through the reasoning about it and you could see, yeah, they, they could definitely see how that worked, you know, and, and how that affected the game. Well, am I am I forgetting anything?
1: Um, I, I mean, I don't think so, What was, was there something?
0: Well, you know, one way I know you can get better is if you can just admit that Magnus did nothing wrong.
1: Oh, do you know that that is the critical to um your dice will roll nothing but fives and sixes. Yep. Magnus guarantees.
0: Yep. So just admit to your opponents, Magnus did nothing wrong, and uh, yep. you will win. As simple yep. as that.
1: Yep. Every time, sixty percent of the time.